Good morning, RBC. It's great to be with you this morning. Another Sunday where we get to gather together and celebrate the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I've not gotten the chance to meet you, my name is David Wright. I'm one of the pastors here. It was a great privilege to be able to preach the Lord's Word last week, and I'm, I'm honored to do it once again as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Last week, we kind of dissected two verses together, Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, and uh, we, we tried to wring out every single drop from those verses. Uh, and I'm going even shorter this week. I'm just looking at one single clause in one verse, and that is be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're new with us, we've been going through a series on the Holy Spirit, which we kicked off uh, two weeks ago with Mark Petersburg, who's a, a lay member, who's a retired pastor in this church. And he talked about the Holy Spirit's role within the Trinity itself. Talked about specific attributes of the Holy Spirit, like omniscience and omnipotence, the divinity of, of him and his role in creation and the inspiration of scripture. And then last week, I preached on the initial work of the Spirit, that word initial, in the life of the believer, specifically the initial work at the moment of conversion itself, how the Lord seals us with his spirit as found in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, how that spirit seals us upon belief to mark that we do indeed belong to Christ, and how that spirit secures us unto eternity by serving as the down payment of our future inheritance, guaranteeing that the work that Christ has started will be brought to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I concluded with how that applies in the realms of evangelism, community, and baptism. If last week was the initial work of the Holy Spirit, this week we're going to look at the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And really, this is kind of the first sermon of many that's going to carry us through this uh, series that we're on, looking at the ongoing work or the ongoing works of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does many ongoing things in our lives. Next week, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in pr- and prayer. Think of passages like Romans 8. In two weeks, we're going to look at what it means to walk in the Spirit. Think of passages like Galatians 5. And then uh, in three weeks from now, we're going to take two weeks and we're going to look at the non-controversial gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives us to serve the church. Think of passages like 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and so on. We'll take a look at that over two weeks. But again, today we're going to look at the ongoing role of the Holy Spirit and the specific aspect of the ongoing role of the Holy Spirit that I want us to dive into is this idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you were with us last week, I made a donut reference that got way too much uh, emails about. Uh, and then someone after the first service in the lobby goes, so you make a donut reference last week and you make a filling reference this week? I'm like, just leave it alone, man. Just, just leave it alone. So again, our main passage is going to be Ephesians 5.18, specifically that last clause, be filled with the Spirit. So let's pray together and ask the Lord to do just that. Lord, as we go out to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family members, as we desire to know you and make you known in this area, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit to do so? We cannot do anything apart from you. 
Lord, all of our lives and our ministries should be submitted before you. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at this idea of being filled with the Spirit, that we would submit ourselves to you, that we would live lives that enable us to be filled by the Spirit. And Lord, if I can ask, would you, would you do mighty things through this church as we witness to you? Fill us with your Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was looking to propose to Abby, I was very short on cash. I had quit my very lucrative job of being a Bible teacher at a Christian school and gone to seminary, which makes you even less money. And being short on cash when you want to propose is not good. Some of you fellows were there and you know what I'm saying. Because y'all got to buy that big old ring. And I thought, though, I had a cheat code, okay, because I had a big old ring that had been passed down in my family. It was a family heirloom, and it's, it's not bad. It's not bad if you ever look at my wife's hand. And it had been passed in my family, and I thought, man, I have broken the system. I'm not spending a dime to propose to Abby. wonder why she said yes to me. But unfortunately, I was a clueless guy, okay? I had lived like 24 years of my life And it had never occurred to me that I actually have to buy two rings for the woman that I'm going to propose to. It had never dawned on me that I needed both an engagement ring and a wedding band. And so when I found out, I had to shell out another, I'm not going to tell you how much I spent on the wedding band, but it was more than I I had in my bank account. When I found that out, I was so disappointed. Somehow I had lived 24 years of my life and never realized that I had to buy two rings for my wife. And y'all giggle, but I'm a young adult pastor. I know I'm educating some of those single men right now. I know, I know some of them are going, I got to buy two rings right now. But anyways, when it comes to the Holy Spirit's work in the Christian life, there are many Christians out there, particularly in the Pentecostal and charismatic denominations, who view uh, the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer kind of like buying two rings. There's the initial ring uh, of giving the Holy Spirit of sealing, indwelling, baptism. This initial ring happens at the moment of conversion. But then there's also this second ring of the Holy Spirit, a moment in time where the Christian is sort of filled uh, with the Spirit new. Uh, This this is often described, depending on uh, the Pentecostal or charismatic denomination, this is described as the filling or the second blessing or even The baptism of the Holy Spirit, they differentiate becoming a Christian and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And certain denominations have certain views on this, and it's often accompanied with uh, the sign of tongues. Whether you're baptized or filled with the Spirit, it needs to come with the outward sign of speaking in tongues, which I'm going to let someone else talk about in a few weeks, by the way. (laughs) They see this kind of the filling of the Spirit kind of like getting the Holy Spirit 2.0. Okay, oh, it's nice that you got 1.0, it's nice that you got the indwelling, but now you need the 2.0. You need to be a Christian 2.0 walking in the life. And if you've told them, yeah, I've been sealed with the Spirit, I'm, I'm a Christian, oftentimes you'll hear the question asked, yes, but have you been filled with the Spirit? Whereas these Christians in the Pentecostal charismatic denominations, they focus a lot on this sort of second ring of the Holy Spirit, Other Christians, and mostly in the evangelical world, view the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Christian kind of like I viewed the rings. Hey, we talk a lot about this first ring and don't think much uh, in terms of subsequent activity of the Holy Spirit afterward. 
We talk a lot about the indwelling or the sealing of the Holy Spirit upon salvation. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit's ongoing role in our life, we don't often think too much about it. Now, the metaphor of rings breaks down at some point here. But the point is this, that the scriptures talk about the ongoing role of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life in many regards. And one of these terms that causes quite the stir is the term that we see through scripture of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And my hope this morning is to clarify what I believe to be the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in turn, I hope that we are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the watching world. Admittingly, this is a bit of a challenging topic, but I want to give you a working definition of what I see in the scriptures as to what the filling of the Holy Spirit is, and I'll explain this throughout this morning. I believe the filling of the Holy Spirit is this. The filling of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit empowers a Christian to give unique witness to Jesus Christ through verbal proclamation and holy living. When the Spirit empowers a Christian to give unique witness to Jesus Christ through verbal proclamation and holy living. In two weeks, we're going to look at the walking, uh, excuse me, the um, uh, walking with the Spirit, which is kind of like a state that the Christian is desired to be in. The, the Christian is desired to be walking with the Spirit. It's a state. Whereas I think the filling of the Holy Spirit is more of a moment that's desired for the Holy Spirit to empower the Christian to witness to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to focus on three characteristics of the filling of the Holy Spirit this morning. The filling of the Holy Spirit is continuous, it's commanded, and it's passive. And I'm going to get this right from our passage in Ephesians 5.18, which reads, Be filled with the Spirit. So the first thing we notice about this clause, the filling of the Spirit, is that the filling of the Spirit is continuous. The word for be filled here is in the present tense, and it indicates an ongoing aspect. You could translate this phrase that Paul is saying, continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something that's desired to be repeated in the life of the believer. Now, we don't often experience the filling of the Spirit due to various things, and we'll get to some of those things later on this morning. But the desire is that we are continuously filled with the Spirit, that it is repeated in our life. Now, this seems to fly in the face of certain theologies that say the filling of the Holy Spirit is a one-time post-conversion experience. Rather, in my reading of Scripture, I don't see it as a one-time post-conversion experience. I see it as something that's to be repeated in the life of the believer, that we are continuously to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus establishes this category of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, primarily in the farewell discourse that happens between John 13 and John 17, where he's with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Let me just give you a few scriptures uh, that Jesus prophesies or proclaims the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, I want you to notice one thing specifically, the fact that Jesus is saying that the giving of the Holy Spirit is going to be an ongoing thing. It's going to have ongoing ramifications. And so there's a lot in these scriptures, but just focus on the ongoing work here as I share some of these with you. First one is John 14, 26, which reads, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Teach and bringing to remembrance seems to be a constant thing. John 15, 26 says this, But when the Helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Keep that one in mind specifically. We're going to come back to that. That bearing witness seems to have an ongoing aspect. And John 16, 13 says this, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Guiding, hearing, speaking, declaring, they all seem to be an ongoing thing that the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. Now notice that middle verse, John fifteen twenty six. It said this, that the Holy Spirit will bear witness about me, the me being Jesus. Jesus is saying that one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit will be to bear witness about Jesus Christ. And that's what we continue to see with the work of the Holy Spirit today. That as the Holy Spirit walks with us and even fills us at times, that the Holy Spirit does so to continually magnify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is often called the shy member of the Trinity. Why? Because he doesn't want the attention. He wants the attention to be redirected to Jesus Christ. This is intrinsic to the Holy Spirit's mission and therefore intrinsic to the Holy Spirit's filling. If you read through the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit's work in the Old Testament is quite interesting. And and I'm not going to go totally into it this morning. But the Holy Spirit is there at the work of creation in Genesis 1. And then one of the things that the Holy Spirit does through the Old Testament is he empowers unique individuals to do unique things at unique times. Hey, think of Gideon and Samson. One of my readings in my quiet time this week was uh, when Elijah is filled with the Spirit and then runs really fast to get to a city. which is kind of cool. But that's what we see through the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit comes upon people in unique times, but then he seems to leave. But what happens when we get to the New Testament, we read in passages like Luke 1, that the Holy Spirit is taking a unique role. He's taking a new role now that the Messiah has come, and that unique role is to proclaim this Messiah, Jesus Christ. Notice in Luke 1, verses 40 through 43, what's just happened is that Mary has been, uh, the, is, has conceived the Messiah through the power of the Holy Spirit. She's conceived this Messiah. This Messiah is to be told he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll walk with the Holy Spirit. And then she's going to go to Elizabeth, her cousin's house, and she's going to tell her the good news. But notice what happens before she can even make mention of the baby in her belly. So she comes to Elizabeth's house, and then this happens. Verse 40 in Luke 1. Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, she's only heard the greeting. And that greeting's not, I'm pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ. She's only heard the greeting. She's heard something along the lines of, hello. This is what happens. The baby inside Elizabeth leaped in her womb. That baby, John the Baptist, is also described in Luke 1 as being filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way. And Elizabeth, notice this, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of who? The mother of my Lord should be in your womb, should come to me. 
Elizabeth only knows this, only knows that the baby that is in Mary's womb, that the, first of all, that there is a baby in Mary's womb, and only knows that the baby is the Messiah because the Holy Spirit fills her and allows her to understand and proclaim this. Okay? I know some of y'all women, you got that ability where you can just like see each other and not say any words and have like a full-length conversation. I don't know if you're like doing Morse code with your eyebrows or something. Okay, and, and you guys can like figure things out without saying a word. Okay, that's not what happens here. Mary and Elizabeth do not see each other and do the whole look at each other. And then she realizes, you're pregnant with the Messiah. Okay, that's, that's not what happens. This is purely a result of the Holy Spirit filling up Elizabeth. And then from that filling up, leading to the proclamation of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives too, is that he continuously magnifies Jesus Christ. And therefore, whatever the filling of the Holy Spirit is should result in the magnification of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a bit of an aside from the specific filling aspect, but I also want to make a note here. It's worth noting that the Holy Spirit doesn't just continually magnify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit continually reminds us of our relationship to that magnified Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit walks with us and reminds us that we are loved by Jesus Christ, that we are blessed by Jesus Christ, that we are saved by Jesus Christ, that we are in Christ. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, and it reads this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And notice this. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. A term of endearment. A term of closeness. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he continuously reminds us that God is our Abba Father. As a pastor, I often talk through challenging times with many believers, times of suffering, sin, anxiety. And one of the things that I often hear in these conversations, and especially when someone's going through a hard time, is they'll say something like, I need to make my identity in Christ. I need to make my identity in Christ. And I understand where they're coming from, and I'm not going to knock that. But I want to give you a reminder, friends, this morning, that your identity is in Christ if you have placed your faith in Christ, whether you feel like it is or not. The Holy Spirit has sealed you, He has placed you in Christ, and there's no amount of sin or suffering that you can go through that will take that identity away. Your identity is in Christ. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. You do not need to make anything. You need to live out of something. Your, your issue may be a discipleship issue. Hey, your issue may be one that you need to take that true identity and you need to apply it to certain areas of in, your, in your life. But your issue is not a identification status issue because that status was not determined by you and it can't be altered by you. Hey, you are in Christ because of Christ and Christ alone. Hey, the, the process that we go through as Christians is taking that truth of that identity and then living it out in our day-to-day life. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of our relationship to Christ through a variety of means, in reading His Word, in times of personal and corporate prayer, 
as we gather Sunday after Sunday and proclaim Jesus. He reminds us. He reminds us through the Lord's Supper that we have been uh, crucified with Christ and raised with Christ. He reminds us through friends and shepherd groups and Christian counselors and pastors and so on and so forth. And I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit would remind you of your identity in Christ if you are in Christ and have placed your faith in Him. That He would remind you that you are sealed. That He is going to walk with you. That you do not need to make your identity anything on your own effort. You just need to live out of that identity. And if you are not a Christian, you can attach that identity to anything in this world that you want. Anything in the world but it will all fail you. It will all fail you. The older you get, you will realize that anything that you can attach your identity to in this life will slip through your fingers and will not fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. There is one person and one thing in the world that will fulfill the deepest desires of your heart and is actually worth placing your identity in, and it is in Jesus Christ. That when you believe in the gospel, that you are now placed in Christ and you cannot be removed from Christ. And if you are not a Christian, gather with us this morning. We would love for you to take the next step in placing your faith in Jesus Christ. That he has gone to the cross on your behalf, taken the death that you deserved in your place, and that he has defeated death by rising from the grave and is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. And if you are interested and and you feel that stirring in your heart, do not quench it this morning. Come talk to one of our pastors after this service. We'll have people that are here to pray for you after this service. Take that next step to know Jesus Christ and to be sealed by his Holy Spirit. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is continuous in the sense that its desire is to be ongoing, repeatable. And during this filling, the Holy Spirit leads the Christian in the magnification of Jesus Christ. So first, the Holy Spirit, or the filling of the Holy Spirit rather, is continuous. And second, the filling of the Holy Spirit is commanded. The filling of the Holy Spirit is commanded. In the phrase, be filled with the Spirit from Ephesians 5.18, the word for be filled is an imperative verb. It's a commandment. It's telling you to do something. Now, it's not a commandment in the sense of do this or else, but it's a commandment in the sense that it's directed. It's instructed. The Ephesian believers and believers nowadays are instructed, are directed to be filled with the Spirit. One of the things that we find in the scriptures is that the Spirit's activity is linked with the missional commandment, often called the Great Commission, which you can find in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. A cousin of the Great Commission is found in Acts 1-8, where Jesus gives the mission from God to the disciples, or to the apostles, rather, at that point, I guess. Jesus says this in Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You remember right after, what happens right after Jesus gives the mission to his apostles? The Spirit comes. And I think the implication is this. The Spirit is given to the people of God to help fulfill the mission of God. Any sort of filling of the Holy Spirit is going to work in the continuation and furthering of the ministry of the great commission. And the Lord empowers us to do this. Additionally, we see that throughout the book of Acts, the Spirit continues to fill the believers afresh 
And by the way, those believers have already been baptized in the Spirit. He does this as they go about fulfilling the Great Commission and witnessing of Jesus Christ to the world. Let me give you a few examples in Acts. In Acts 3, Peter and John heal a lame man. And then in Acts 4, Peter and John are asked by the high priest, By what power or what name did you do this? And this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So that's Acts 4. Flip a couple pages to Acts 7. Stephen, after preaching a sermon and just absolutely (laughs) scorching the religious leaders, is filled by the Spirit, and Acts 7, 55 and 56 reads this. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Flip a couple pages to Acts 13. This magician, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, named Elemas, opposes Saul. And then the text reads this in Acts 13, 9 through 10. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Paul has clearly not read How to Win Friends and Influence People. But that's what he says when he is filled with the Holy Spirit. You see a pattern in all three of these passages. And I think you see a pattern throughout the book of Luke and, and throughout Acts. That there's already a Christian who's already been baptized by the Spirit. And then he is filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit allows the Christian to proclaim the Messiah. That's what the point of the filling of the Holy Spirit is, in my opinion. Now, on a side note, there are many theologies out there in churches that say that you have only been baptized initially or filled continuously by the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. If you speak in tongues. Both of these things assume that the presence of the Holy Spirit in baptism or filling is always resulted in the speaking of tongues. But that is not, in my opinion, what we read in Scripture Sometimes in Acts, the filling of the Holy Spirit results in people speaking in tongues, but other times it results in prophesying, other times preaching, other times praying, other times doing good works. The Holy Spirit has a variety of means to use his people to proclaim the name Jesus Christ. It's not just tongues. I once had a friend and coworker who was a Christian. Uh, this was when I was a, a Bible teacher, coworker who was a Christian who shared a story with me one time about when he was a middle school-aged boy, and he went to this sort of um, teen summer Pentecostal camp. And one night they were around a campfire, and they were all trying to, you know, catch the Spirit, if we want to call it. And all of them uh, evidenced their catching of the Spirit by speaking in tongues. My friend was the only one who was not speaking in tongues there, but he really wanted to. He wanted to be seen as a real Christian, He wanted to catch the Spirit and speak in tongues. 
and his friends were encouraging him and he couldn't quite do it and his friends kept encouraging him and he couldn't quite do it. And finally, he just was so distraught that he faked it. He just started blabbering. And everyone was like, he's got it. He's got the spirit. He's got the gift of tongues. And my friend went home distraught because not only did he not have the Holy Spirit in his mind, but he faked having the Holy Spirit. And it took a long time to be relieved of that guilt. And friends, many of you have had similar experiences. I'm not bashing Pentecostal or charismatic churches, but we have plenty of brother and sister churches in this area that have different views of tongues, and we love them. But I've noticed that a lot of people who have come from those backgrounds oftentimes carry a weight of guilt because they have not spoken in tongues. And if I can just comfort you this morning that just because you have not spoken in tongues does not mean the Holy Spirit is not active in your life. Okay? You have been baptized by the Spirit upon conversion. You may at times in your life be filled with the Spirit to proclaim the Messiah. And just because you have not spoken in tongues does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not doing something powerful through you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You remember in Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, and I actually referenced this verse last week in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen that all of the ones he is writing to have been baptized into one spirit. Okay, so he's writing to Christians, carnal, mature. He's writing to Christians. And then shortly after he says that, he says, do all speak in tongues? And the assumed answer is no. And so Paul himself says this. And I don't think it makes any sense that every believer needs to speak in tongues as evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in their life. And once again, if you've had an experience like my friend, I just want to relieve you of any guilt that you might be carrying around this morning. Now, while we don't always see speaking in tongues as a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts, we do see something that marks every time in the book of Luke and Acts that results from the filling of the Spirit. One commentator noted that every time in the book of Acts the Holy Spirit fills a believer, it's done in the presence of unbelievers. Very interesting. And this happens because, as we said earlier, the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Jesus Christ. And that magnification happens in the book of Acts in the presence of unbelievers. Now, does that mean every single time that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it needs to be in the presence of unbelievers today? I don't think that's the point that we're going to get at here. I think the point is this, that the filling of the Holy Spirit is inherently a missional filling. The, the need to be filled by the Holy Spirit is to fill out the Great Commission. And I think we see this throughout the book of Acts. You know, as I, as I look at many Christians today, and, and I've, I've fallen in this category too, so I'm not judging here, but many Christians, they, they want encounters with the Holy Spirit, but they want encounters with the Holy Spirit for some sort of emotional experience, you know, a personal emotional experience. And so they think if, you know, if we uh, pray the right way and we dim the lights the right way and we sing the right worship songs that will be filled with the Spirit and the result of the filling of the Spirit will make us feel good. And the Holy Spirit is an encouragement. The Holy Spirit does remind us of identity. So it's not that that's the opposite case. But if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, you got to be on mission. That's when the Holy Spirit shows up in the filling. It's not just to make you feel all warm and fuzzy. If you feel all warm and fuzzy, great for you. 
But that's not the main point. The main point that I see in Scripture is the filling of the Spirit allows us to proclaim Jesus Christ to the watching world. So when you pray, fill me afresh with your Spirit, you better have on your mind who you're going to evangelize and witness to. Many of you, and I've talked to some of you, you have had personal experiences where you are witnessing on a plane. Planes are great to witness, by the way. I mean, the person's stuck with you for the next three, four hours. I mean, there's nothing they can do. But whether it's on a plane or with a neighbor or a family member, I know many of you have had experiences where you've gone to share your faith with someone and you just feel like the Holy Spirit has filled you up and given you the right words to say. Hey, that's what I'm talking about here. Hey, many of you have had these experiences in your life. And not, all, not, not every evangelism encounter is, is like that, right? I mean, some of our evangelism encounters, if we're honest, just go through the floor. You know, that, that was a disaster. Hey, but some of you have had these experiences. And if you haven't, I don't want you to feel like a subpar Christian this morning. God has given us different gifts, some preaching and some hospitality, some faith, some with words, and, and so on and so forth. But I want, us to re- I want to remind us that while we have differing gifts of the Spirit, we have the same mission that the Spirit empowers us to fulfill, that we go and make disciples and baptize and teach them to obey. And as we do this, our desire is, Lord, would you fill me afresh today to do this? Would you fill me afresh to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? So the filling of the Spirit is continuous. The filling of the Spirit is commanded. And finally, the filling of the Spirit is passive. It's passive. This is very interesting. In Ephesians 5.18, when Paul says to the Ephesian believers to be filled with the Spirit... It is a passive command. Paul is not saying, go fill yourself with the Spirit. Hey, like, this analogy is going to break down at some point. Like, the Holy Spirit's like a pinata in the sky, and if we just, you know, like whack it correctly with the right prayer form or whatever, that the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is going to fall out. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, passively be filled with the Spirit. So the question then becomes, how can we obey a command that's passive? Hey, what's with that? I mean, I mean, a passive command sounds like an oxymoron, right? But here's what I think we can do, and I think here's what's modeled in the book of Acts, is that the believers are faithfully looking to witness, to obey, to preach the gospel. And in fulfilling that mission, in God's divine sovereignty, he chooses moments to fill his disciples and his apostles with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we don't manufacture it ourselves. The Lord does it at times in our lives. That's the desire. But what we can do is while we may not make the meal filling of the Holy Spirit, I'm throwing a bunch of analogies out right now and hoping one catches on. While we cannot make the meal of the filling of the Holy Spirit, What we can do is live lives that set the table for it. We can prepare ourselves through our witness, through our holy living, through our proclamation of the gospel, that there may be times in our lives where the Spirit just does something special and fills us for the proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we need to live on guard lives that are holy, that are surrendered to Christ, that Christ may at the right time just fill us with the Spirit. Notice Ephesians 4, how Paul says this. 
He says all these things about the holy living of the Christian. And starting in verse 29, Paul says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Paul lifts a bunch of ethical responsibilities of the Christian life. Placed in the middle of those ethical responsibilities, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Hey, what does Paul mean by that? Well, the Spirit in our life desires to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which we will look at in a couple weeks on the sermon, Walking with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's natural desire is to produce fruit. But what we can do is we can cut off or quench or grieve the Holy Spirit's natural desire to produce that fruit with the way that we live. When our mouths are filled with corrupting talk and slander, they cannot be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. When our hearts are filled with wrath and unforgiveness, they cannot be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And furthermore, if we go back to our main passage, Ephesians 5.18, and we zoom out a little bit, we read this, that Paul says be filled with the Spirit in this ethical context. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But what? But be filled with the Spirit. Paul contrasts being filled with alcoholic drink, or, you know, back in the ancient Near East, they don't have all these alcoholic beverage options they've got wine okay so the application will be any alcoholic beverage hey do not get drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit the christian life is supposed to be one where sober-mindedness is a virtue and it's a virtue for many reasons one of the reasons is because we want to set the table for the spirit's work and provide him every opportunity to use us when we get drunk we grieve the Spirit. We fill our mouths with alcohol instead of filling our mouths with words that the Spirit might proclaim through us. One of my wife's uncles uh, is a police chief, and he's on, uh, my wife's got two sides of the family, one that's very English, one that's very Italian. This is on the Italian side. And at these Italian family gatherings, you'll find a lot of things. Hey, you might be Italian yourself or um, you know, you can, you can relate to this at, at your family gatherings, but you'll find trays of pastas. I mean, trays of pastas. You'll find uh, the occasional conga line and people turning weird objects into hats that they wear on their head. You'll find uh, chants even where people are banging the floor and chanting something. I mean, these, these gatherings are a lot. And at these gatherings, there's lots and lots of wine. I'm just going to paint the picture that way. But one thing you won't find at these family gatherings is Abby's uncle, who is the police chief, drinking. Why? Because he is on call as the police chief 24-7. At any moment, at the drop of the hat, he needs to be able to respond to a situation with clear-headedness, sober-mindedness, and make good judgments with self-control. And friends, likewise, we are always on call for our Lord Jesus Christ. We may not know what the Spirit has for us on a particular night, but we need to be open that He might lock in our self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, and He might fill us up and proclaim the good news of Christ through Him. 
It is a travesty when we are in the presence of unbelievers that in an opportunity where the Spirit may fill us afresh, that we can proclaim the gospel, that instead we trade the gospel and the filling of the Spirit with too much alcohol. That's a travesty. And I think the application from this passage is very simple this morning. The question we need to ask ourselves as individuals and as a body of believers is this. Am I personally and are we corporately giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to use us as a unique witness to Jesus Christ through verbal proclamation and holy living? Are we setting the table and expecting that the Holy Spirit might do amazing things for the magnification of the Son, Jesus Christ? One person who I think we can look to as an example who lived their life of godliness and was continuously filled with the Spirit to proclaim Jesus Christ is Billy Graham. When Billy Graham was 28 years old, he was traveling Europe on an evangelistic circuit. He was not very well known at this point. And if you're Welsh, I'm going to mess up this pronunciation. But when he was in Pontypridd, Wales, he met another young Welsh preacher named Stephen Alford. Stephen Alford uh, recently had had a, a special encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit some months prior. And while in Pontypridd, Alford and Graham gathered and spent the days praying, talking, reading the scriptures, and the nights preaching the gospel at these evangelistic events. I have a picture of Graham and Alford up there. You can tell that Graham was a tall guy, (laughs) and Alford was not. Um, But what happened is that the first night that Graham got up to preach, Graham gave a very brief, formulaic Youth for Christ sermon. And when he was finished, he stood down And a Welsh man in the congregation stood up and said, that was a great introduction. Now can we hear the sermon? Billy left rejected, dejected rather. And the next day during the day, Billy and Stephen prayed. And in their prayers, they submitted themselves to the Lord. And Graham constantly repented of his lack of consecration. And he asked the Lord to fill him afresh with the Holy Spirit and empower his preaching. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. That night, David Aikman, uh, Billy, one of Billy Graham's biographers, writes this about the night after he was filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Aikman writes this. That night, the small church, which was the previous evening had been sparse, was crammed to overflowing. As Billy rose to speak, he was, in the words of Alford, a man absolutely anointed. When Graham gave the invitation to accept personal salvation, practically the entire audience responded according to Olford's later events, or detailing rather. After the meeting, Olford drove to his parents' home a few miles away and walked into his kitchen beaming. His father, a retired missionary, saw his son's expression and asked what had moved him. Olford replied, Dad, something has happened to Billy Graham. The world is going to hear from this man. He is going to make his mark in history. And friends, indeed he was. And I'm pretty confident to say that from the fruit that was born from Billy Graham's preaching ministry, the Holy Spirit continuously filled him afresh to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Now friends, I'm going to make a wild venture and say that we are not going to be, uh, not all going to be Billy Graham And probably none of us are going to be Billy Graham in our lives. That that was a unique ministry that the Lord had for him. 
But what we can do is we can look at the example of Billy Graham who submitted himself to the proclamation of the gospel and we can do the exact same thing. That we can submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, would you fill me afresh that I may proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, let's be filled with the Spirit, this continuous, commanded, impassive empowerment to the Christian from the Holy Spirit that allows us to uniquely witness to Jesus Christ through verbal proclamation and holy living. Let's do that together, church, shall we? All right, let's pray. Lord, may our lives be so in tune with walking with the Spirit that we lay the table, that we set the table that on certain moments in our lives that you may fill us afresh to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may our lives be a magnification of our Savior. Lord, would you forgive us for our often apathetic attitude towards fulfilling the Great Commission? Would you forgive me of that? Would you forgive me that in two months of moving to a new apartment, in those two months, I have hardly made an effort to get to know my neighbors. Lord, would we repent of our sin and our apathetic attitude? May we live on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, may at certain times in your life that you would fill us afresh and allow us to proclaim Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.